This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. The User Experience Health Check allows IA and UX professionals and their collaborators to introduce metrics of success and benchmarks to their product and service design decision making, from the most strategic to the most tactile aspects. Principal of Information Architecture and User Experience for Comcast Interactive Media, Livia Labat, along with author and independent consultant Austin Gavella, share measures of success that quantify and qualify user experience efforts that are scarce and not widely adopted. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. The, the goal for this talk is not to try to be comprehensive and tell you every little aspect of this, but just to give you an introduction so that you can try it once and let us know what you think and if it works for you. So we actually proposed a workshop for the summit to really go through this in a lot of depth, but it's really new. So we thought it would be best to just give you an introduction. How many of you have seen the poster in the poster session? Okay, a few of you. Great, thank you. Um, so. The name may sound a little weird, user experience health check. So who has health checks? Or let me ask a better question. Who has had a, a checkup or a health check in the last 12 months? So you know it's important. Like that's, that's a pretty good number here. I'm, I'm proud of you. You're keeping, taking good care of yourselves. So you know it's important. You do that for yourself. You, you know that's a good way to assess how your body's developing, how it's deteriorating. Um, and um, it's, it's a method both for you and your physician to really see how, how you're doing. So doesn't your work deserve the same kind of long-term um, assessment uh, in order for you to see how that's progressing and really identify areas that may be problem areas that you should look into? You know, sometimes you do a health check and you, know, you realize that you have actually to do a biopsy to learn something else. So this is a mix of a diagnosis, a diagnosis tool uh, and also a, a, a tool to um, portray certain things that we usually don't have an ability to identify in the long term. So moving on, um, we have a lot to cover, but there is no way we're going to do that. So I just really want to talk about why, what, and how, and as quickly as possible. So in order to do that, um, really want to just do it with you, not just say this is how it's done or why it's valuable. We'll touch all of those things, but we actually want to do at least you know, one part of a health check so that you would experience what it's like to do it. Because it is uh, uh, not just a tool that produces an artifact, but it also involves a lot of collaboration within the team that you're working in. So I thought it would be important for you to experience the, do the doing part of it. Um, so. You want to talk about that? All right. So uh, in a nutshell, the, 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 the user experience health check is a method to quantify the qualitative user experience. We have a number of tools that assess the qualitative part of the experience. We do um, different kinds of uh, heuristics and assessments, and we have our own experience to draw from when we're doing um, 
when we're reviewing something, even as you're going through a project and you're designing an interface, um, you know, your, your group of peers will have opinions about that. They're more qualitative and they're not necessarily grounded in very specific metrics. And we usually have a big gap between the metrics that we are emerged in, in, in our context at work, and usually you know, at whether they're tracking metrics or other harder metrics that the, that the business uh, brings to us, we, we have this kind of fuzzy stuff going on in the, quant the qualitative part. So one of the goals of this approach is to not replace any of them, but really add on top and really build a bridge between these two things. So how do we make the fuzzy less fuzzy not just so that it's less fuzzy and more concrete, but so that the people who are thinking those more concrete terms can really understand the fuzzier stuff. So yeah, we'll invent a lot of words as we're describing this, but that's because it's really weird. It's, that's where our challenges are when we're trying to explain what is, what is good, what is a better experience, what is a, a, a delightful experience. It's really hard to translate that into the metrics that we're actually uh, we actually need to communicate things in. So uh, just in a nutshell also, this is applicable to any product or service. So you can really think of a, a service experience with multiple touch points and different platforms, or you can think of a more limited terms on an interface level and specific feature sets. Uh, so it can measure something very concrete, like a features in a product or just notions of service. So breaking down how uh, a whole ecosystem of products comes together. Uh, but to me, the most important thing is that it introduces a shared language for teams to discuss elements of an experience. So just very quickly, how do you do it? So the first thing you do is you pick your service or your product that you're thinking of or you're working with. It could be an existing product that you're looking to develop further. It could be a brand new thing. Uh, so you first just deconstruct it so that you can talk about it in more specific terms and not just of the overall experience um, in that fuzzy way. Uh, and so basically we'll break it down and we'll see how that's done. Then you choose competitive benchmarks and that's where this is one of the first differences from other, other comparison tools and gap analysis and other things. Usually you pick a competitor and you just compare your product as a whole to some other competitor in your industry or in a similar service. So what we do is actually we pick competitors or benchmarks at more of a feature level or on the chunks that we found. Uh, and that's really where we're able to map the fuzzier part to more concrete things. Uh, so the way to actually compare these things is we're using a, uh, a scoring system. Uh, and what we do is we set targets where we actually want that experience to be in terms of these numbers. And then we score what we think the, the current situation is. And then we tally up all of that and communicate in a way that makes sense to people. So it really all starts with a project. So we thought we'd just do an example so you can experience that. Let's say you're planning a conference like the IA Summit 2010 in Phoenix in April 7 to 10, 2010. So you need to build a website to communicate, to get people to register, submit papers, which you will next year. And you have a list of things that you, that you want to do. So, you know, this is what we have today. Uh, and, you know, it's probably gonna be a little different in different ways next year. So what are the things that we need to consider in terms of creating the experience of attending the Information Architecture Summit? So the first thing you do is really disconstruct it. So it just break down the parts of that product or service in a way that they can be looked at in isolation. So if you are gonna think of the program 
then you can compare the program to other kinds of programs that not necessarily, or a schedule, not necessarily schedules in other conferences, but you can think of other schedules that you can compare to. It can actually provide a lot of insight into what makes a good schedule uh, and not just, you know, this is the way that schedules are done for conferences. And I think it, South by Southwest is a good example. Like, they really innovate in certain aspects of that because they're not just thinking, okay, what do conferences do? Let's do that. Um, so, like I said, it can be really big. You can actually use things that you already have today. Like I said, this is not a tool to like replace anything. If you have like a mental model, you can actually use the mental spaces in your mental model as the way to like chunk your experience because that already maps to a feature set that you have or you're intending to create. Uh, so if you're lucky enough that you actually have that established, it's, a, it's really just an add-on that you can uh, piggyback on. Um, and generic universal mental models. So even if you actually haven't gone through the exercise of mapping it all out, uh, sometimes you have maybe uh, a consumption life cycle. Let's say you know people find your content, they consume it, and then they manage it. Or and so there's like some generalization of the cycle of your audience and your content that your company already uses. You can build on that. So really, the notion here is like deconstruct, but still try to build on things that you you may already have. So let's just do. Uh, a quick exercise. Uh, Austin's going to start taking some some notes, but we're we're thinking of um, the IA Summit. Like, what are the, the the various things that we need to think of in terms of the service? Uh, yeah, I need a volunteer to help us. Could someone help us out? Thanks, Danny. So let's just start shouting out things. Like I said, the program, for example, or the schedule. What else? Location. Come on, come on. Call for papers. Food. Internet access. Social, yeah. Put social in it. Aaron told us how, so anything else? What's that? Power sockets. You guys are specific. Think big. Nearby restaurants. Exhibits. Mentoring booth, wall of deliverables. Cappuccinos. Cappuccinos. There's, not, there's nothing wrong. But that's the idea. Just keep saying things. Transportation. Transportation. Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. We got Wi-Fi like three times. That's good. We need Wi-Fi. Notes to self. Registration. Transport from airport. Transport. Okay. That, those are all good. Um, anything else that's more about the content? Any, any other? Or the website? Or like, you know, a theme. Okay, that's speaker bios. Okay, good. Do we have enough? Podcasts. Post conference. All right. Okay, so now what we do is we sort them into groups because they're not like at all. You have Wi-Fi and the program. They're not the same kind of thing. Uh, and when you start doing that, and you can actually, if you, if you have a product, you just maybe shout out features or things you think should be in there, and, um, and you just sort them into logical groups. So you may have, um, for example, the part of the program, so you have the themes and the tracks of uh, the different tracks, like the business track and a more practical track, uh, practitioner track, uh, and you can say, you know, amenities, and you can have Wi-Fi and your cappuccino, Dennis, and all those other things. So you just really find what those chunks are. 
Um, and I'll let Austin talk about this because, you know, why do we do that? Like, why, why do we do that? Because we're going to talk now about the, the actual scoring system. So I want to talk about where it came from. And we, we actually need a couple more volunteers to help Livia sort the capabilities. Anyone? Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. Yeah, come on up. All right. Um, a couple years ago, I was put on this Agile project at, up at Comcast, and uh, the engineers and product manager had been kind of noodling on the product for about a year. It looked like engineers and product manager had built it for about a year, but they were getting ready to launch, so it needed like you know some UX love to make sure you know everything was where it's supposed to be, and it you know didn't drive users crazy. So all of a sudden, the the general manager, her reports up, you know, to her boss changed from like, you know, we pushed this feature out, we pushed this feature out, you know, we merged this data set to we improved the experience, right? So there's, she had no way to communicate that, you know, she's doing her job, anybody's doing the job on the project because it was just this fuzzy experience. So she came up and said, you know, I need like a dial or a thermometer so I can show, you know, how the, you know, all the work we're doing every two to four weeks is actually, you know, improving the site. Um, so that's, that's how we, that's we, came, we came about it, right? So we decided to put numbers on, on the experience. So this, this is the scale we came up with. So it's, it's actually pretty, pretty, pretty common, right? You've got like a less than 30, which is you know, stuff that's not usable. Um, 50 for your parity with your competitors. Um, 90 is best in class. And these actually map less to you know, how good your experience is and more to like what your business strategy is. Um, and we totally pulled, just made this scale up, literally probably I think like 11 at night. Um, uh, the lady I was working with, Mary in Somerville, we were just kind of sitting, sitting around a table, you know, trying to push stuff out real fast. And um, it's totally subjective. But I think one of the things, uh, and that's actually one of the pushbacks we get on this, is that, you know, it's just totally, it's a totally subjective review, and that's totally true. However, um, a, lot of a lot of times you forget that um, quantitative items, right, you know, like the metric system, are really just qualitative systems that everybody agrees on. Like, that's what makes it quantitative, right? Everybody agrees. So, Step one is you pick a scale and everybody agrees on the scale. So now you have a quantitative scale that you can use. Um, and this is actually very common, right? Like the, the way the yard originated was, one of the stories is, is that King of England said that, you know, the yard is the distance from my nose to my finger, right? You know, what age right, was he when he did this? That's not a consistent measurement. You know, after he dies, you don't drag a skeleton out to figure out, you know, how long a yard is. Someone just made something up, and because everybody uses it, that's the yard. That's even how the metric system works, right? Some, they just decided one day that, it's like the distance from the, north, from the North Pole to the equator divided by 100,000, that's a meter. Um, so that I mean, it sounds very scientific, right? But they even got their math wrong, right? They forgot how flat the Earth was, so they had to go and recompute the math. And then years later, they figured out, well, it's actually the distance that a, you know, light goes in a vacuum for this, you know, this much, in this much time, that's a meter. And they, you keep, they just keep changing the measurement of the meter, right? And it's still just a meter. And the thing that makes the quantitative meter that we all depend on is that we all agree on it. So th this is the scale. So um, the, the one thing about this is that, is that you have to, you're always comparing to where you're going, right? So the one unspoken review walking into a, into a new project is everybody already has a picture in their head, right, of what it's going to be like, right? You already have that picture. So one of the important things that we do with this method is you actually choose targets. So you, we already generated a list of capabilities. We've put them into chunks. Um, you go and you, choose, you decide and you ask yourself, you know, are we going to be best in class in this area, right? Do we, be, do we need to be a market differentiator? Is it okay if we're just barely usable here, right? I mean, that's a business decision. You probably get that a lot. You're like, this, this feature is terrible and the business is like, you know, I don't care. 
right? That's, that's a to totally valid. A lot of times you're shooting for parity with your competitors. Um, and it seems like a sliding scale, but since you're looking at your competitors, it's relative, right? So if you're, if you're at search parity with like Google and Yahoo, um, I mean, you're just at parity, but I mean, you're really kind of badass, right? Um, whereas if you're like best in class um, for like conference review software, I mean, that's, uh, the, the system ACES uses now is it's okay, but it's not like awesome to be best in class there. It wouldn't really be, it's not really as far away as like being best in class in search. You know what I'm saying? Like it's relative to the capability you're using. Um, and the important part, right, is that it's all collaborative, right? You have your, you're working out with your team. The targets are really, you know, mapping your business strategy, what's going on. So it requires that you're talking to the stakeholders. You actually have them help you set the targets. You have them validate them. It's a communication process, and that's the important part. So um, this is part of the exercise where we're going to set targets on the, the capabilities we've already generated. So if you're trying to um, create the summit, maybe locate, um, you know, transportation from the airport is a good thing to know beforehand, but it's not critical for the success of the summit that that information is provided by the summit, for example. It's a nice to have, so it, you know, we'll want to have a, you know, a list function. That information should be, you know, check this, you know, click this link and go find out how to get to, to the location. Uh, so you don't need to you know, always aim for everything being perfect because that's just unrealistic. Is that a good answer? Dan? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's a good point. And that's what, when I said earlier you can build on an existing mission or a life cycle, something that you already have, those are usually constraints for, for that decision making. I mean, here we don't really have a lot, but that's a very good point. Uh, you will usually start your project with those constraints, and those constraints should continue to inform this part of the exercise like time or other, other aspects, but absolutely a very important point. And, and the business has the constraints in their head. Like they aren't really thinking they want to be best in class for every discrete feature. Like they might decide the service as a whole is best in class, but you know, the quality of your navigation or a contact form, I mean, they're just kind of, eh, has to work. So well, I mean, that's the conversation you have with them, right? Like, no, to be successful according to your strategy, we need to be best in class here. So, like, it's not a fiat either way. Yeah, and actually, that's great, because th that problem is going to emerge here. And this is, for, is creating a situation, creating an opportunity for you to have that conversation where you might, otherwise might not. Because you'll be like, yeah, those are the constraints of the project, and that's it. And here you can say, well, but that doesn't really jive with what we're trying to accomplish with it and creating a better experience. So it creates the opportunity to have that conversation. So, uh, okay, let's just shout out to a few more and let's try to agree. Um, bios for speakers, for example, where do we want to be? <laughs> Very good. Come on, what does everyone think? What is the, not the bare minimum, but what is the adequate amount that you need to actually provide the experience? So that is actually a better way to frame that question. You're right. Um, so we have a, what is it, a 70? 50? Is that what it is? Okay. So uh, call for papers. <laughs> Very good point. Very good point because that's going to come up later because what we, you, the outcome of the process, you start prioritizing. And then you can see we have a huge gap in this thing and we have a small thing here. Well, we don't need to improve on the thing that has the smaller gap but let's spend our time on this other one. So that's very valid. So just another one so we can, we can go through this. So registration, online registration. Best in class. Best in class, functional. So what, what's the argument here, functional versus best in class? 
Okay, because it is important for the experience of the summit at that aspect. It, yeah, it's not that conferences in general need to have an awesome registration. You're reflecting this audience. It really needs to be for that reason. So that's part of that discussion. Okay, so I think we have enough, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, so this is where you say, where, this is where you want to go. You put a number there. Who are you going to compare to to say, how, where am I? To say, what is best in class? Or what is functional? Or what is good enough? Uh, so, do we want to do that for, and you ask, at, at and you have at least one for each of the capabilities that you're looking at. You can have multiple. Let's say one of your aspects is search, and you could put a number of aspects of search, or you could say Google, Yahoo search, and other things as a comparison. Or if it's, you know, your search has, you know, different kind of, you can put cluster or other kinds of search that reflect more the kind of thing that you're trying to, to assess. Um, and it, the, the interesting part of this is that it doesn't have to be in your industry, it doesn't have to be relevant to the thing you're trying to create because it's about the capability and how good that capability is. And I, I think the, the important part about capability versus feature, that's an important distinction because when you're, say if you're building a webmail, webmail application, um, you want people to be able to organize their messages. You don't really care if it's you know, Gmail labels or Yahoo folders. The, the important part that you're designing for, the experience you're designing for, is that they can organize stuff. So your competitors might be Gmail labels and Yahoo folders, right? But you don't care. You just want them to be able to organize their messages, and you can compare it to other good organization systems, but you don't really care how it's implemented. So you want it at the capability level, not the implementation level. So uh, can you go to the spreadsheet? Okay, so online registration. So who do we want to compare to? Like, shout outs. Evite. Evite? Okay. Why is that? Okay. As soon as you register, other people see it and, and okay, any others that you'd compare to? I mean, you guys said that you want to have the best Registration. Okay. So you want to use an anti comparison. That's totally anti patterns are very good here because you'd be like not this one. And you and you can break it open too, right? It's essentially a sign up process. So you can think of any service you've si ever signed up for that was pleasurable. Like a lot of people like the Netflix sign-up process, because you sign up, you pay your money, and then you spend like two hours rating movies, you didn't even know it, right? That's a good mm -hmm. sign-up experience, right? So what other, you know, joining experiences have you had that are good? Amazon. Amazon. Okay. So that's good. Um, you can keep going, and, and working with your, your team, you're going to see certain things emerge, like certain, certain uh, things are mentioned a lot more because your company is really focused on that competitor or another, so you have that conversation. Okay. So the whole, the whole point is you get all your assumptions on paper, right? So one of the problems when everybody's sitting around a table during a review is someone says, this sucks, I don't like it, and someone else says, this sucks, I don't like it, and the third person says, I think it's awesome. And that's because everybody has a different mental framework, right? When you ask someone if something is good, they, in their head, they're thinking, this is good or bad compared to something I've seen. Mm -hmm. So the important part about choosing your benchmarks, right, is that everybody is now using the same rulers. That's the, that's the other part of the scale. The first, the numerical scale you agree on, so you have it becomes quantitative. And the second part, of the, you take the subjective part out by making sure everybody's comparing your registration system to Amazon. They're not, you know, one person's not comparing to Amazon, someone's comparing to Netflix, everybody compares it to Amazon. So you all have a common ground, 
you're all using the same set of numbers to measure the same set, the same experience to the same competitors. And this is the moment where you're bridging your fuzzy to your more concrete. And you're taking the fuzzy out of the conversation by creating this artificial frame to have a conversation that makes everyone come not to a consensus about what we're aspiring to do and, and where, how we're judging the current situation. All right? So the next step is basically you had, you had set scores and you define who your benchmarks are. So you just evaluate, okay, let's look at the product. Let's open up or you know, if it's a website or something, let's open it up, let's look at it. Or you may actually have done usability testing or other research or have received some other kind of feedback. What kind of feedback mechanisms do you usually use for your products just to know what, how they're progressing and et cetera? Just shout out some of them. Do you use like Net Promoter or Time On Site? Uh, yeah, metrics, but also other tools that you use to get feedback and see, you know, how people are responding. Satisfaction, what's that? Opinion lab. Opinion lab. Random emails. <laughs> Very good. All those things are, are information that you can use to make that assessment. But it's still the same rule applies from the targets to the scoring of the, the current situation. Uh, the team has a conversation, says, yes, we're really, you know, a 30, you know, and sometimes it'd be like, no, we're wonderful, we do all this stuff, and then you can bring all those random emails that you get and, and have that conversation. So we're gonna score now, so what would you, how would you rate the internet access at the conference in March 2009? Think of the score, the criteria. So 30 is less than usable, between 30 and 50 is functional. 30? 30. 30, okay. Y'all are generous. I haven't been on it all the whole time. I mean, have y'all been able to connect and stuff? All right, so 30, because okay. it's not even functional most of the time. Functional is, it's on, right? Okay. It's barely usable. BIOS for speakers. You've seen them in the, the booklet and online. Is it good enough? Does it give you all the information you need for, about the speakers? Good enough? So, but at parity with your competitors for bios, like maybe if your bios were compared to LinkedIn, would you say it was equal with LinkedIn or less than LinkedIn? Less, okay, so like a 40, 30, numbers, 40, 40 is good, okay, 40. My formatting broke, sorry. <laughs> okay, online registration. So we have our benchmarks here and you've experienced some of these. So uh, where are we now? 30 to 20, 20 to 30, okay. Everyone? 35? Yeah, right now, the, yeah, what do you now? actually experience this year in terms of registering? You pick the workshops? Yes, online registration. So 30, is that what we're getting? 40? 40, everyone agrees on the 40? We're here, okay, yeah, it's functional, that's right, it's good. Okay. So then, yeah, do you want to talk to the gap? Yeah. So now that you set your target, right, and then you evaluate where you currently are, you now know how far away your experience is. So the important part about the gap is that um, if you don't have all your assumptions written down, like, you know, we want to be best in class here and barely usable here, then when you're sitting around, you know, choosing what to work on next or, or, or you know, arguing your priorities in, in the project meeting, nobody really has any clue other than just, you know, kind of what you woke up with that morning, right? Or maybe a cool site you saw that evening. And I think this is actually, one of the things that the health check does well because it came out of this agile process where we had really short sprints, you know, like 
two weeks. And so whatever was like sexy, you know, the Tuesday before the sprint meeting was all of a sudden we were working on something totally different. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It was from just, you know, A to Z. They would just pick a random direction every couple of weeks. Um, but this at least, right, and this at least, everybody assumptions are on the table, and that includes the management's assumptions, right? The targets are the management's vision for how the product should be rolled out, right? Um, so you're not, like, you're not like just inventing stuff out of the air. You're just getting all your assumptions on the, on the, on the paper. So the last part is, you know, you actually, we'll, we'll give you the spreadsheet because it's really not that complex a calculation. Um, but basically, it spits out this information, and you have the clusters that you created, so you can roll them up. So you can say there's an aspect of your experience that's like the, the account registration aspect of it, or creating a profile, like all these things are combined in a what, cluster. What were the chunks you had for the... So we have chunks that are infrastructure, after the summit, networking, getting involved, and amenities. So you would have, you could roll them up, so they can, it's a way to, you know, step back from the experience a little bit, not too broad, but not too detailed, and see how the roll up works and see what the gap is between the current and where you want to be in those, within those areas. Um, but I left this slide blank on purpose because the value is not in the artifact. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's a spreadsheet. You can spit it out however you want. You can, you can present it as a spreadsheet. I mean, we created little precious documents that we presented and gave people. We printed out really big and put it on the wall with a diagram. And, and they all work because it's about the content and what you're trying to communicate with that gap in assessment of where your experience is. So there, you can do it however you want. You want to say something? So the, the, the tool itself stops here, but what we've done is, you know, we continue the spreadsheets and say value to the user, and the business can say value to the business, and we negotiate, and we set priorities. So when you look at the spreadsheet, there will be more things that you can do with it, but if you stop here, it's enough perspective, but you can build on, uh, on it for many aspects. So uh, definitely, it is, a, it is actually important that you pointed it out because this is also a tool to help you. If you're concerned that in your organization you're not part of the discussion about priorities, this is a good way for you to introduce yourself into those discussions. And, and that's you know, the, the example uh, where this started that, that Austin was talking about. That's exactly what happened to us. We were able to finally sit on the strategy table for that product. Yeah. So a couple examples here. Yeah, so this is like the original visualization, right? The, the manager wanted essentially a thermometer so she could show, you know, with every release that the experience had improved by X amount. So this is using um, just like a fake one I did for the poster um, earlier. So, but the areas we rolled up are, in this case, or, you know, you can see them there. But the roll-up's important because I think a lot of time executives, they don't, they think about discrete features, but they also have like buckets in their head, right? They're, they're saying, you know, we need to really improve search, right? But search is this huge thing, right? You've got the back end, you've got the front end all these crazy things you can do. So, so you need to group it in a way that they can actually, that, that maps up with the way that they're looking at the product. Um, this, is, uh, this is a printout of that same one. So this is using the same numbers, but this is just everything that's below 30, right? So if you've seen that right column, all the evaluations, these are all the places on the site that are not usable, right? So if that's important at all, right, then they would make that a priority to work on um, in the next phase. And this is, I think, for the IA Institute, just as a, an example. Yeah, a fictional IA institute. Yeah, um, but I, I did that because we're all kind of familiar. Uh, a lot of us are kind of familiar with it. So this is what it was. So, um, and this is everywhere that had a gap over 50, right? So if your target is like 90, but you're, you're, um, but you're really at like you know less than 30, 
then really according to your vision of the product, you've got a huge gap there. I mean, that would be something that you'd want to May, might want to work on next. But a good point is what do you consider a big gap and a small gap is going to vary by your organization and, and where things are. And so this is actually going to evolve over time and how your product evolves and how your team understands and rates these things. So this is going to be, and, and the reason why I like this, this tool the most is actually it's very reflective of the internal culture. So it's not a tool that you can just you know apply to whatever and you can uh, compare things externally in, in a very... Uh, in much parity, but it's very reflective of your organization, and it grows with the organization. And I, I think the, and the important part about the assumptions, the neat thing, whenever I was doing the, the gap analysis, right, for FanCast, um, I would always be surprised. About half the items on the list were things that I knew we needed to work on already, but the other half were things that I thought weren't priorities, and I had a, I had a different list in my head. But because you're able to put your assumptions on paper, you can't, you know, your perspective doesn't, has less of a shade over what's going on, because you just... You're trying, to, you're trying to get everything out on paper. So you can graph the change, right? So this is a change over time, because you have the baseline. So, and I think it's important to note that that first number, like on 20, the 27 is totally subjective, right? You're literally sitting around a table with your friends. You know, like I was late one night, 11, we just pulled the numbers out of our butts, right? Totally subjective. But you're experts, right? You've got some type of, um, if you have some expertise and some knowledge about what makes a good experience, what doesn't. So it's an okay number, right? We make these type of expert evaluations all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but the really cool part is every number after that uses the same set, uses the same scales, right? So even though the first number is magic, you're really just measuring where, where you go. So the first one's a baseline, and every time you do it after that, those numbers are totally valid, right? Because you're just measuring change. Dennis? How do you deal with, like, your comparisons? Well, and that, that changes your score, right? Because then the next time you do your evaluation, like, um, <clears throat> now all of a sudden you're a lot worse than what they did. Yeah. yeah, and the next time you do it, you don't just go entering numbers. You go back and say, do we still have all these capabilities? Do we need to add more? Do we need to review the competitors that we're looking at? Do we need to change them? So you, all, you go through the process again. It's going to be much faster because you'll have a framework to work with. Uh, but you always have to revisit because it, the experience is being affected by the environment, right? And really the assumption about, about all of this stuff is that when you improve the experience, you're going to improve the business, right? That's, that's the assumption. So you can actually map the experience to dollars and cents. Like that doesn't happen, but that's you can done. show correlation, right? So if you have, like Fancast is a CPM model, um, I called marketing, got, got the CPM rate. I knew, you know, average visits, average visits, you know, for a return visitor, how many pages they looked at. You can actually calculate a number, right, a dollar number for what the average visitor is worth, right? So if over time um, your number goes up, which is what the business wants, right, the, the, the value of each user goes up, the actual dollar value, not just some ephemeral value, if that goes up as your experience improves, then you know you're on track. And I think that this is, it looks cool because you're actually putting, you know, showing the correlation between the two. But I think the really, the valuable part of this is that if they differ, right? Like if your experience goes up, but your user value goes down, then there's something wrong, right? Like the, the design's wrong, the capability's wrong, your strategy's wrong, something's way off, right? Because they should be, they should, you know, be correlated. But then you can diagnose that and not be arguing about which feature do we add next or, you know, your design wasn't good enough or you didn't test the right thing. Um, so it, it allows for a comparison that is equivalent. So to sum up, um, you know, really we want to assess 
and help answer the question, how well does the service meet the user needs, expectations, and motivations, and, but in terms that everyone can understand? Because a lot of times we're talking about experience, blah, 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 and these people are not hearing. So we create uh, a situation that we can answer or, or, or speak in the same terms. And it provides a snapshot of the experience at one point in time, and then it tracks that evolution. Um, and also identify where the biggest problem areas are. And that's where the, the prioritizing comes after, because then you can ha make an assessment separate and agnostic to the experience and actually talk business and value. Uh, and, and lastly, you have an artifact, and I thought you know, maybe this audience would find that interesting. You have an artifact that's portraying how your work is directly affecting the service evolution. And we don't have artifacts like that. We have all kinds of artifacts that we produce to communicate design, communicate the work that we're doing, but none that is like you can pull and say, oh yeah, last year we, we did one every quarter, and look how the, this is artifacts that we produced that represent the work that we did, and don't, don't underestimate the value of the artifact. It really makes a difference that you can actually bring something in the same way that the business units that you work with or, or the product managers bring all kinds of artifacts that are grounded in metrics. So this is a metric for you to really come to them in the same terms and uh, participate in the same kind of conversation. So we covered why, what, and how very quickly. Do you feel like you can do it yourself? You could? Yes? Yes? Cool, because cool. that's all we wanted. So thank you very much. And if you have more questions, we're happy to answer. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.